Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. What are we even talking about when we talk about true crime? I'm Rebecca Sebastian, host of the weekly interview format podcast, Dialogue, a true crime conversation. Join me every Wednesday for a new conversation about justice. We live in a post-truth society where justice is elusive. Mystery. All of a sudden, he was startled awake, and he couldn't remember having heard the sound, but he remembered the feeling of having heard the sound. Crime. It's the number one thing victims of crime say afterward is, I knew not to get in the elevator with that guy, open the door to my apartment, walk across that dark street. Cults. Ask to be branded, ask to be held down and say, Master, you know, please brand me. It would be an honor for the rest of my life. Culture and more. This system is so ingrained and in so many facets of society. We're talking about the criminal legal system, but it goes far beyond that because this is something that's just really in the consciousness of everyone. And once a month, we'll be shaking it up and lightening it up with some true crime trivia. Dialogue, that's dialogue with a D-I-E, is available on all podcast listening platforms. Back in Black, I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. In 1910, three dynamic figures draped head-to-toe in long, black Victorian morning dresses entered a New Jersey courtroom. The women, shrouded in thick black lace and cloth, were Carolyn Martin, Virginia Wardlaw, and Mary Sneed, the prime suspects in a high-profile family murder trial, a trial the whole nation watched eagerly playing out. Today, we're talking about the notorious Black sisters, the tormentors and killing conspirators of Virginia, New Jersey, and New York. A lot of my research is true, but a lot is very hard to prove discerning folklore from fact in the case of the Black Sisters. It's all, again, very muddled, but I'm trying my best to give you mostly fact, maybe a little bit of ghosts at the end. We'll see. But let's rewind things a bit back to Montgomery Female Academy, originally established in 1853 in Christiansburg, Virginia. In 1880, a woman named Oceana Seaborn Goodall Pollock buys the school when it's sold at public auction and employs her niece, a teacher. This niece's name is Virginia Wardlaw. Virginia's young brother, John B. Wardlaw, also lives at the school with his wife, Lizzie. That year, John and Lizzie mysteriously die. They're healthy in their 20s, and nobody knows what happened. Virginia keeps working at the school, and eventually her aunt gets old and just gives her Montgomery Female Academy to run however she wants. The school is pretty nice and has a great local reputation, great curriculum, refurbished dorms. Things are going well. That is, until one of the students has a baby. 
Obviously, that was a pretty controversial piece of news at the time and at the school. At that point, Virginia's cushy headmistress job gets a little more complicated. So she calls in reinforcements, her sisters, Carolyn Martin and Mary Sneed. After the sisters arrived, the baby was never seen or heard from again. The three women all took over the role of headmistress and together were an absolute force at the academy. Mary, Virginia, and Carolyn were flirtatious, dynamic, and creepy. When not managing the school, they would hang out in cemeteries. On multiple occasions, a taxi driver would pick the three up, drop them at the edge of the cemetery, and watch them inside, gathering around and chanting in a circle. The three would always wear black mourning wear with dark, heavy veils on their heads. When they convened, the darkly clad trio would obviously turn heads. That's where they got their name, the Black Sisters. Were they witches, constantly in mourning? The people of Christiansburg did not know and did not want to find out. Virginia didn't have any children and never married. Mary was a widow with two sons, John and Fletcher. Carolyn was also a teacher who couldn't keep a job due to, quote, unstable behavior and had a daughter of her own named Oceana Martin, Osha for short, after their aunt who bought the school. Mary's kids, John and Fletcher, were tight bros who did everything together. They lived in Linville, Tennessee, where they operated a sawmill company. John married a woman named Anna Laird McLaurin in 1903, and Fletcher married her sister Vashti in 1899. Some sources even say they had a double wedding, which I believe. One day, Carolyn went to Tennessee to see John and try to convince him to come teach at Montgomery Female Academy. Whatever happened that day resulted in John calling the police on his Aunt Caroline, saying that she was causing trouble, trying to split his marriage up, and a threat to his own safety. The police escorted Carolyn off her nephew's property and things quieted down until Carolyn just came right back to Tennessee to see him. On that second visit, John went willingly with Carolyn to start a new life in Virginia. No questions asked. After John got to Montgomery Female Academy, his wife Anna was stricken with grief and placed in a sanitarium. And John wasn't doing too great himself. On two occasions, it was suspected that he attempted suicide, one when he fell off a train near Roanoke during a trip with Caroline, and a few weeks later when he was pulled from a cistern full of water. Virginia calmly explained the second attempt, saying that John had slipped when measuring the school's water supply. One night, a couple of neighbors heard a man's screams. When people eventually went to his room to see what was up, they found John and his bed completely on fire, having been doused in kerosene. John was dead and it was, quote, an accident, his aunts and mother vowed. The official story, a candle had fell into John's bed. Case closed. And the case was definitely closed, according to the Black Sisters, because that meant John's insurance policy of $12,000, equivalent to around $350,000 today, was made out to Dear Aunt Virginia, not John's wife, Anne, and it would be immediately paid in full. At this point, the townspeople were like, we don't know what the fuck is going on with these three women, but we can't really do anything. Well, you couldn't do anything unless you were affiliated with the school. Enrollment was rapidly declining. After John's death, parents were pulling their girls out of Montgomery, concerned for their kids' well-being. Even creepier, the girls who still attended might wake up to find the three sisters circling their bed, chanting. A couple months before John dies, Fletcher, Mary's other son, the one who wasn't set on fire, comes into the picture. Carolyn travels to Linville and insists Fletcher accompany her to Louisville concerning some family property. He gets sick on the way, so they stop in Chattanooga. Fletcher's wife, Vashti, comes to visit, but Caroline won't let her. A week later, when Fletcher doesn't come back home, Vashti goes back to Chattanooga and discovers her own husband is left to go to some other boarding house there. Vashti is very angry and returns home, and after a while, she just obtains a divorce. It's done. Fletcher does eventually get better, though, and he's heartbroken, so he moves in with his three aunts in Christiansburg. A week after his move, news gets out that Fletcher does believe in life after love. He's set to marry someone new. That someone is his first cousin, Oshi, daughter of Caroline. 
Oh, she was young and beautiful. She's got a real Jodie Foster vibe going for her. In this point in history, it's not super weird to marry your first cousin, but it is weird to just announce it without people seeing the two courting or even talking. The whole situation is fucked. Still, this news is small compared to the bigger gossip of the town. The three sisters are leaving Montgomery Female Academy, and they're taking Fletcher and Oshi with them. Even with John's life insurance, rumor had it that the three acquired a lot of debt, made some bad deals, and their cemetery jaunts aren't making them any friends. Also, girls are dropping out of the college like flies, and the classrooms are disorganized and chaotic. So Virginia, Caroline, Mary, Fletcher, and Oshi, some say it's Oshi, I'm saying Oshi for the sake of the consistency in this podcast, all leave the area in 1908, bound for New Jersey. According to their new neighbors, a lot happens after they touch down. The five move into a modest house, and after a lot of fighting and one miscarriage, Fletcher takes off for Canada, never to return. Then Oshi finds out she's pregnant again and gives birth a couple months after Fletcher leaves. She takes the baby to a hospital after her home birth and confesses to the doctors that her mother and aunts are starving her and keeping her captive. The doctor gives her vitamins and asks to speak to her sisters, but they refuse. He's given limited time with Oshi, his malnourished, desperate patient, and eventually Oshi's baby dies. This is tragic, but not a surprise. Since her birth, Oshi has apparently always been the object of scorn from her mother and aunts, who deliberately tried to starve and intimidate her. After the sisters scare away Oshi's first doctor, they hire another one who kind of falls in love with her, smuggling food to her and sneaking into a window in her home to check on her. But not before he gives the sisters a bill. Rather than pay the $100 bill presented by the doctor, the sisters offered to make him a $1,000 beneficiary in Oshi's will. He declines, as one might, and decides to take steps against the family, believing that Oshi was, quote, under some hypnotic influence. What he didn't know is that Oshi was being given regular and obviously unnecessary doses of morphine for her postpartum pain by the sisters. When the doctor returns to check on Oshi before he reports everything to the police, he finds the place abandoned. Everyone's gone. The sisters surface in Brooklyn in September 1909 when they ask an attorney to help make Oshi's will. The attorney comes over and when the sisters go to search for a pen, she tells the attorney that she is dying, reaches under her pillow, and gives him her own will. Pretty bold move. In this will, she leaves everything to her grandmother and asks the lawyer to make himself executor. Again, super bold, very desperate move, and it works. In October 1909, the three are back in a dilapidated apartment in New Jersey. There, in an upstairs bathroom, Oshi's naked body is found sitting in a tub of water with her head tilted under a faucet. She is finally and tragically dead. So let's take a break and a little breather. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, hello, how are you? Hello. How are you doing? Hi. This is the check-in. It's check-in time. We're at it. We're, We're in it. At it again. Uh, up, oh. and at it. up and at him, up and, up, up and in it. Grab some coffee and go. We want to say hello to everyone who's listening, mm-hmm. everyone who supports the show, to all of our patrons. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. And hello to our government. That's right. The mayors. The mayors. In the house. Mm-hmm. Dar Rosenzweig. Hello. James Harrington. Hello. David Bull. Hello. Ashley Matson. Hello. And the governor. Er, 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 oh, er, er, er. here she is. Avian Noble. So if you want early access, no chit chat, bonus episodes, mm-hmm. patreon.com slash ghost town pod. That's right. The bonies are good this month. They're good every month, but they're really good this month. We have one Apple podcast review. Thank you to anyone. Review us anywhere. Please. We'll read it. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It helps. It does. Great podcast. Five stars. Nice. I love this podcast and really don't understand the negative reviews. People are way too critical. Keep up the great work, Rebecca and Jason. More people need to listen. That's from R Wine in the US and A. Hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. It's a nice, solid, meaty review. Honestly, just cut and paste that review into your review and post it. And then comment on our looks. Yeah. And in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's get back to Brooklyn in 1909. So in October... The tortured, malnourished Oshi Sneed has died, likely at the hands of her mom, Carolyn, and her aunts, Mary and Virginia. Is there a suicide note? Yes, of course there is. Pinned to her clothes, which sits next to the bathroom. You know, like most suicide notes are. It reads, Last year my little daughter died. Other near and dear kindred too have gone to heaven. I long to go there too. I have been ill and weak a very long time now. Death will be a blessed relief to me in my sufferings. When you read this, I will have committed suicide. My sorrow and pain in this world are greater than I can endure. Oshi W. M. Sneed. Again, doesn't really quite read authentically the way you might think a suicide note would read. Oshi's death was identified as a drowning, with starvation as a contributing cause. Suspicion for the death quickly focused on the Black Sisters, because of course they did. The investigation revealed that the home seemed cold and unoccupied, and Oshi had been dead for at least 24 hours. The evidence against the sisters were several life insurance policies that had been taken out on the young woman and several suicide notes found in the possession of Oshi's mother, Caroline, that were written in the same handwriting as the one found in Oshi's clothes. Surprise, surprise. All three were arrested and charged with murder, while the country watched in awe as the trials of the three diabolical, witchy, ruthless women unfolded before their very eyes. Two of the three women met appropriately tragic ends. In 1910, Virginia Wardlaw starved herself to death in prison. Carolyn Martin, then late into her trial, finally pleaded guilty to manslaughter and was taken to jail, then transferred to an insane asylum where she died in 1913. Mary was released on a technicality since there's no charge for accomplice to manslaughter and went to Colorado to live with her youngest son, Albert Charles Sneed. They later moved to California where she died in 1937. If you thought there might be some haunted shit involved in the story besides murder, torture, and light witchcraft, you thought right. Today, the Montgomery Female Academy isn't there anymore. 
In its place is the Christianburg Middle School. There are reports of lights going on and off at the school and of people seeing shadowy, dark figures walking the hallways. Amigo, or AM Eagle, wrote on Creepypasta that they found a video clip from a guy who was visiting his grandmother's grave at Sunset Cemetery in Christiansburg, where Virginia Wardlaw is buried. He visits Virginia's grave when he got there, and he noticed a tin box buried behind the grave. Inside the box is an SD card along with a newspaper clipping. The SD card contained a video called, quote, Hidden. The article was about three teenagers who journeyed into the cemetery during the night and never came back. After going missing, the search went on for weeks, only to end after a couple of months. Amigal, or Amigal, recalls the missing teens being reported on. Amigal said they clicked on the video. Here's their observation. The first few minutes were very distorted, but I caught a few glimpses of the cemetery. The visual cut out, but then I got to listen to the audio. At first, there was only the sound of leaves crunching and a person's breathing. Eventually, someone spoke up. Are we there yet? A girl's voice asked. Almost, said a guy's voice. The girl must have been around 15, the guy about the same age. A second guy's voice asked, how will we know when we get there? It doesn't have any words on it. A huge chunk of it was taken out in some gun duel. Plus, it's at the far end of the yard, said the first boy. The audio cut out and I was left staring at a blank screen. After a few seconds, the video cut in again with full visual and audio. The cameraman was filming a gym with a basketball court in the middle. At first, I thought it was a still frame, but the camera moved abruptly towards a wooden door labeled exit. Then it cut to a shot of walking down a hallway. I heard the clacking of high heels and assumed the cameraman was indeed a woman. After several minutes of the walking, the camera found itself at a metal door labeled furnace room. After the shot moved down a metal staircase, I saw the furnace. The camera moved away from it and I noticed a hallway leading to a darker area of the basement. The camera moved down the hallway and got to the actual basement. The camera woman moved past numerous boxes of junk, finally reaching an old well. Two dark figures stood beside it with three unconscious bodies at their feet. One of them moved off the wooden cover of the well. They dropped the only female of the bodies in first. As the camera peered down the well, I could only make out for a second the other bodies in there, rotting, molding, and piled up on top of each other. One by one, they dropped all three bodies into the well. When they dropped the last one, a baby started crying. The crying was soft at first, but got louder and louder to the point of me wanting to cut my ears off. They replaced the wooden cover, and the crying ceased. Okay, deep breath. Wow. Thank you, Amigal, for that description. It is a horrifying cap to this very gruesome story. And to all of you, good luck getting any sleep tonight.